millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, January 17th, 2024, the 1091st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month, and in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So yesterday we were discussing the election outcomes in Taiwan and the results of the Iowa caucuses. And we wrapped up the show going through some of the response from the DeSantis simps, all the key players in the Ron DeSantis social media op, part of the anti-Trump, anti-MAGA hate movement disguised as though they were America first, very conservative Republicans. And let's just spend another second on that today, because this is too funny and too representative of the Ron movement not to share. So 
Barack Hussein Obama himself this morning wishes a happy birthday to Big Mike Michelle Obama on X, formerly Twitter, attaching a picture of Michelle Obama in a long, flowy yellow dress on the pool deck of some villa overlooking a beautiful ocean. And Obama writes, this is what 60 looks like. Happy birthday to my better half, who happens to be one of the funniest, smartest, most beautiful people I know. Michelle Obama, you make every day better. I can't wait to see what this new decade brings you. Ooh, is she going to become president? So I don't know how you received Barack Obama's message to his wife, but I picked up on what seemed like a few problems there. One of them is saying that your wife is one of the funniest, smartest, most beautiful. It seems like you should really be thinking more of her than she's simply kind of high ranking according to these three measures. And it's also notable that rather than saying one of the smartest, funniest, most beautiful women I know, he said people. But then again, Barack Obama is gay, so he might think men are quite beautiful and not in a let me appreciate that sculpture sort of way. But I'm not doing this segment simply for the joy of calling Big Mike a man or calling Barack Obama gay. No, that's not the point of this at all. The point is something that happened in the replies. Now, one of the first replies when I went over to this post on X, formerly Twitter, was a man named Bailey saying he looks great about Michelle Obama. Crushed it, Bailey. Crushed it. But here's Ron DeSantis simp, Chris Nelson. Now, Chris Nelson has bleached hair and wears a tank top. He's very tan. He's a Florida guy. All of the DeSantis people love telling everyone how they're Florida guys. Gosh, it's so important to be a Florida guy. That's how they know that Ron is the greatest governor in all the land. They live in one state. That's how they know. Some of them obviously have lived in other states, as many people have, as I have. But I certainly haven't lived in all of them. Ron DeSantis is a good governor on TV, but in reality, he is an absolutely atrocious politician. Now, Chris Nelson, in addition to being a Florida guy, is also one of the most boring people and rude people you could possibly imagine. You can find videos of him. Occasionally, he hosts his own live streams. The guy doesn't know anything except that Ron DeSantis is the absolute greatest. Donald Trump, he's the pits. Now, you'll remember Chris Nelson's comment from yesterday. He said, the first to turn on Trump, we will never back that SOB again and will celebrate when he loses, goes to prison or anything to keep him out of power. So that's who we're dealing with here. That is who he is, a Donald Trump hater. But nonetheless, he loves Ron DeSantis. In fact, he is one of the key DeSantis simps, inseparable from the others. They were all working on the same operation. 
Well, here is that same Chris Nelson responding to Barack Hussein Obama's happy birthday wishes to Michelle Obama. Chris Nelson writes on X, formerly Twitter. Now, steal yourselves. I want to make sure that you are ready for this. Here is his post. Michelle, you look fantastic. I have some serious problems with your husband's politics, but the way you are disrespected by my party, the GOP, is a disgrace. You are a beautiful woman, in all caps, and I wish you happy birthday. And then he has the emoji in one of those little paper cone-shaped birthday hats blowing on one of those little noisemakers. And of course, a birthday cake. Oh, it's just an emoji celebration for the former first lady's birthday. That is Chris Nelson, Ron DeSantis simp, reaffirming that Michelle Obama is in fact a beautiful woman and bemoaning the fact that his party, the GOP, is a disgrace for saying otherwise. So while things are going terribly for the DeSantis simps, they're going even worse for Rigdy Meatball himself. He had all the major donors pushing him, trying to make sure that Ron could remove Donald Trump from the picture. No one would ever hear about election fraud ever again. We could just give Ron the presidency, say our elections are fixed, look how well Republicans did, and go right back to normal. Everybody gets to go to sleep until the next major disaster. But not to worry, the guy who helped remove Donald Trump and MAGA from political power in America, he's going to navigate us through this. So Ron finished just ahead of Nikki Haley in Iowa. But Nikki Haley is supposedly just behind Trump in New Hampshire. Now, that's not true, but that's the media story. That is what we will deal with over the course of the next six days until the New Hampshire primary, which will be next Tuesday night. So the expectation is Trump wins. Nikki Haley comes in a close second. Ron finishes a distant third. Chris Christie dropped out a week ago. Vivek dropped out the other night and has endorsed Trump. We'll get to some of that in a second. But right now, for all intents and purposes, it's Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and Nikki Haley. And Ron is about to finish third, and then they head to Nevada and then South Carolina. Nevada is going to be interesting because the Nevada Republican Party is boycotting their presidential primary, which is on February 6th. That is where they just have a normal vote using Nevada's very well-entrenched election fraud apparatus. Two days later, though, they have a Republican presidential caucus, and that is going to be the official GOP primary in Nevada. The TV is going to tell everybody that the result in the Tuesday, February 6th primary is the actual result. Then they head off to South Carolina, and we know that James Clyburn can flip on the election fraud apparatus in South Carolina anytime he wants. Now, I don't see how Ron DeSantis finishes anywhere but third in these next three states. He's not expected to compete at all in New Hampshire. It's hard to see any reason right now 
why the regime would be putting their force behind Ron DeSantis rather than Nikki Haley. She's the one being pumped by the media. She's the one with the quote unquote momentum, whereas Ron has been fading for the entirety of the 15 months since Donald Trump simply whispered desanctimonious and the entire GOP rhino establishment emerged from hiding. People theorize that Ron might be an op, might be kayfabe, might just be out there to attract rhino supporters, rhino donors, rhino media figures, and expose them all, bring them out into the sunlight. We've talked about that theory since November of 2022, and there's definitely something to it. Maybe we find out that's the right answer, but we certainly don't know now. And because regardless of whether it's real or kayfabe, the effect that it's having is real. There are people who support Ron DeSantis for president. Some of them are just our normie Republican neighbors or people who are kind of sick of Trump who will ultimately come around. There's no reason to worry too much about those people. They're just kind of detached. They may not be awake, but at least they've heard the truth and will realize it when these situations begin to affect them personally. But then we also actually have this professional class of influential, quote unquote, Republicans who represent the uniparty right controlled opposition, just as supportive of the uniparty in this country and the global regime and its agenda as their controlled opposition on the uniparty left. And those people must be dealt with, not only because of what they represent, but because of the effect they have on that other group of people who are largely detached from reality. I would argue and have argued extensively that they get that way from constantly listening to these mainstream conservative influencers who have been largely supporting Ron DeSantis and have been supporting the narrative that Joe Biden really received 81 million real lawful American votes without these false narratives in there that we're being told only exist to help wake up the normies without that messaging there at all. The controlled opposition narrative breaks down. And when the controlled opposition narrative breaks down, it becomes quite clear that it's just one bullshit story they're telling and people can move outside that framework. They're not going to realize that if we keep covering for people who are lying to everyone's faces, working explicitly in an anti-Trump, anti-MAGA fashion, allowing supporters of the America First movement to be painted as stupid and ignorant and evil and racist and all the rest of it cultists, idolaters, people on our side of things have this strange urge to protect these people while they direct the hate movement at us. It makes no sense. So Ron has no momentum, no chance. He doesn't have a finish better than third in sight, it seems, for at least the next six weeks. How is that going to look for Ron DeSantis, just six weeks of talking about loss after loss, third place finish after third place finish. People are still going to take him and his campaign seriously. They're still going to see a reason for Ron to keep running. No, that's not going to happen. It will become very clear that it is an anti-Trump movement that is specifically devoted to tearing down Donald Trump and is not 
at all committed to helping Republicans win. Now, again, if that is some ingenious pro-Trump red team op meant to address every weakness in Trump's collective public image to the American people, all good. Ron's taking a big reputational hit. We can thank him for his service when it's all over. But until then, we have to understand these dynamics so that we know how these things operate. This is a playbook that has been run over and over and over and over and over and over and over again throughout our lives, often in the primaries for national figures, for people with bigger names. Imagine what happens in our local elections or city elections or county elections or state elections for all of these representatives who are never really vetted by the public. The political parties can just run this same playbook over and over again in these primaries and remove any candidates that might actually present a challenge to the regime. It's not just about rigging general elections. It's about rigging primaries, too, because rigged primaries are the way to keep America first messaging out of the general election conversation completely. They don't have to address our needs, our concerns, our wishes, our priorities, or any of the points we make if there are no MAGA candidates anywhere because the GOP establishment has removed them by rigging the primary process. So for now, Ron is in there, whatever he represents, and Nikki is in there, whatever she represents. And they're going to apparently ride it out for the next two months. So we get through Super Tuesday on March 5th. And then some big primaries on March 12th and March 19th. The 19th is when that Florida primary happens, the one that Ron DeSantis will also lose. And at that point, Donald Trump will clearly be the Republican nominee. There is no way possible for either of these other candidates to win. It has always been preposterous. And again, it's a fake primary. But the thing is, even if it was a real one, it would only be about these narratives anyway. The uniparty controls the election apparatus. Everything else regarding elections is narrative. You got to understand that the results are narrative and the preface for those results is the entire narrative that plays out over the campaign. The campaign exists to tell a story to the public so that they will believe election results when they are reported by the same uniparty regime propaganda media. Now, people theorize that both candidates are plants by Trump, Ron and Nikki, as were Vivek and Chris Christie and Tim Scott and Larry Elder and Asa Hutchinson and Francis Suarez and Will Hurd and Pastor Ryan Binkley and whoever else is running. Doug Burgum. I forgot about Doug Burgum. All of these people are plants to create this stage play that is the fake GOP primary. I can get down with that theory. I understand there is a possibility that that is true. There is also a possibility where some of them are plants and some of them aren't. And there's the possibility that none of them are plants. And we are just seeing the full exposure of how utterly bereft of talent and morality our political class actually is. But if you understand that this is only a battle of narratives either way, then it doesn't matter if the primary is fake. Doesn't matter if it's kayfabe or all of these candidates 
are actually participating in giving it their best, trying to win and take down Donald Trump. All that matters is the battle of these narratives. And so we must understand the narratives. And you might think, hey, this is a ridiculous amount of information to have to navigate. And I would absolutely agree with you, but we shall navigate it nonetheless. So we have Nikki and Ron competing in this public facing stage play, these fake GOP primaries. Donald Trump is off to the side, not participating in any of it. Yes, he will go to Iowa and give speeches and encourage people to go out to the caucus. But he's not debating these people. He's going around the country for different episodes of Law and Order, Get Trump, Washington, D.C., and Law and Order, Get Trump, New York City, and Law and Order, Get Trump, Atlanta. And he's doing some interviews and some town halls and some speeches, and he's posting a lot on Truth Social. That's the campaign and the full uniparty with all of its resources and a massive push to get voters to swap parties still can't come anywhere close to competing with Donald Trump in the fake primary. And there won't be any point where they can. We are seeing the culmination of various ideas, directional knowledge that we have discussed now for over three years. It wasn't only that Donald Trump's comeback was inevitable due to the implementation of some plan. Donald Trump's comeback in the collective American mind was inevitable because the truth about all these stories leads one to understand that only Donald Trump is in a position to actually do anything about all these problems. Donald Trump is not winning a political campaign that isn't happening. Donald Trump is winning a narrative war with the truth in increasingly effective and dominant fashion. This has been an irreversible trend for years now. You could observe this trend certainly since the spring of 2020 when I observed it and talked about it, but there were people far ahead of me as well. Many of them were just followers of the Q op and believed because of the Q posts that we were headed that direction. I had the observation without ever having read Q posts because I could see that the entirety of the mainstream media was curating their coverage of a very deadly pandemic by pursuing a strategy that Trump was always wrong and bad in whatever situation. Everything they reported was framed in a way that it would make Donald Trump look bad. They weren't focused on truth. They weren't focused on preparing their audience to deal with a complicated situation. They were focused on making Donald Trump look bad and unelectable. Trump was dealing with a very deadly pandemic and the George Floyd nonsense. And rather than taking these quote unquote problems seriously, the media just made these massive societal issues their tool to use in an attempt to destroy Donald Trump. It was not difficult to see how that was going to blow up in their faces, particularly because people had already learned to stop trusting the media. And that's before we were told we had to stand six feet away in order to not kill grandma while we get through these two weeks to slow the spread. So we got two candidates and we have Donald Trump, who's not participating, probably because the GOP primary is fake and there is 
nothing to gain from him lowering himself to the point where he has to discuss who has the wee-wees and who has the hoo-hahs with Ron and Nikki. And so last week, they had their own debate for this Iowa caucus. Virtually no one watched it, no one cared, and it did not produce any results for either of them in Iowa. The entire thing is a farce. Well, it seems like the people holding these debates have now realized that, or at least want us to believe that's what happened. This is from today in the New York Times. CNN cancels its Republican debate in New Hampshire for lack of participation. Neither of the two Republican debates planned for the days before the New Hampshire primary will be happening. CNN canceled the debate it was set to host because only one candidate agreed to participate, that being Ron. The network said on Wednesday, a day after ABC News did the same. The CNN debate had been scheduled for Sunday and the ABC News WMUR debate for Thursday. CNN said it would host a town hall event with Ms. Haley on Thursday instead, after hosting one with Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida on Tuesday. So only Ron DeSantis said he would debate. Nikki Haley said she's not doing any more debates unless it's with Donald Trump or Joe Biden. She doesn't need to talk to Ron DeSantis anymore. And Ron DeSantis doesn't need to talk to her anymore either. The two of them just make themselves and each other look worse every time they do any event. That is what happens when you continue to attempt to sell people something that they have told you again and again they don't want. And that only becomes more true when that thing is set in absolute opposition to the thing they keep telling you they do want, the one and only thing they do want, that being Donald Trump. It's actually worse than being a used car salesman, because at least when you go on to a used car lot and deal with a used car salesman, it's because you're in the market for a car. What's happening here is more like if you went to a used car lot to try to sell that used car lot your car and they said, well, no, we actually don't want your car, but we have this car to sell you. Now, let's just touch briefly on something the Gateway Pundit pointed out today. I was going to talk a little bit about Johnson County yesterday. That is the one county where Nikki Haley was declared the winner. It's the fourth largest county in the state. And it is the home of Iowa City and the University of Iowa. It is the most reliably Democratic county in the state, having not voted for a Republican presidential candidate in decades. Now, counties like this are great examples of one of the kind of false dynamics in American politics. We've been convinced to believe, despite the fact that it doesn't really make any sense, we are told that if an area is really, really blue, then whatever Republican might win there will be much more, quote unquote, moderate, much more centrist, much more toward the Democrat side of things like people in heavily blue areas who aren't satisfied with their government just want a less extreme version of that same thing and don't want an actual alternative to what's been happening in their community for decades. That is just now, even if that dynamic held for 
general election strategy. It doesn't make a lot of sense in a caucus process where people are getting out because they are the most engaged activists. Does it really make sense to think that in a heavily Democrat district within a heavily Republican state like Iowa, the most engaged and enthusiastic activists in this cycle, the people who most want to get rid of Joe Biden, these are Republicans after all, are going to go out in the freezing cold for Nikki Haley. Does that make any sense? The most enthusiastic Republican activists in the bluest part of a very red state, those people are going to go out in the freezing cold in numbers for Nikki Haley, or do we just have problems in Johnson County, Iowa? So let's think about caucuses for a second. We don't have voting machines. We don't have mail-in ballots or ballot harvesting. People have to come to an event, fill out their card, and have them counted transparently in front of everyone. Well, the only way to rig that process is by finding people who will go out and spend that time casting their vote for a candidate who is not the choice of the most ardent, engaged, enthusiastic activists. Now, in normal politics, if everything was working the right way, these candidates would have to go out and convince people that they were the best choice. But that's not what's happening. What's happening is that Democrats around the country, much as they were in Wyoming, in Liz Cheney's primary in 2022, Democrats are being encouraged to switch their party affiliation and then participate in the primaries or these caucuses and cast their votes and push their support behind a Donald Trump opponent. Now, we can talk about whether or not that sort of thing should be legal. We can talk about the pros and cons. But the point is, that is a way to attempt to rig caucuses by activating the Democrats who most oppose the GOP favorite. And that is exactly what Nikki Haley's campaign strategy was. Here is the Gateway Pundit reporting about this today. Now, you know, the one county out of 99 that Trump lost in Iowa ran out of party switch forms on caucus night. President Trump won every single county in Iowa on Monday, except Johnson County, where Iowa City and the University of Iowa are located. Nikki Haley won that county. On Tuesday, CBS News explained how this happened. So this is CBS reporter Tony Dockapil, I guess is his name. He says it's been a very interesting night. They just finished voting. This was a room in favor of Nikki Haley, overwhelmingly so. Ron DeSantis second, Donald Trump a distant third. The most interesting development of the evening. Yes, this county, Johnson County, the most interesting development of the evening. The most interesting development is not that Donald Trump won 98 out of 99. It's that someone else won one. He goes on. They had 50 forms for people who wanted to register tonight or switch their party registration. They ran out of those forms. Members of the caucus team here had to run out to multiple people's homes to get printer paper and get their printers fired up. They printed another 25 or so sheets of paper. They estimate about 75 people were new registrations or switched their registration from Democrats to Republicans in order to play in this caucus tonight. 
And I think that's a big reason why Nikki Haley was lifted up. The Gateway Pundit is, by the way, quoting from the television reporter what he's saying. So it's not exactly the clearest English. It's not as if this was typed up in sentences. They're just transcribing his spontaneous wording. But he says if she can repeat this feat about these registration switches, because we're talking about 20 percent of the vote here, thereabouts, give or take, were new registrations or crossovers. And that is above the typical rate. So Nikki Haley relied on Democrat crossover voters enlisted in Johnson County to propel her to a win. The one county that was won by someone other than Trump in order to win that one county. And let's take a little flashback to 2020 to find out some more about Johnson County, Iowa. This is from CBS 2 Iowa on July 23rd of 2020. County auditors challenged Secretary of State send pre-filled absentee request forms. Iowa Secretary of State Paul Pate will send mass mailings of absentee ballot request forms to all registered voters ahead of November's election. But at least two county auditors are still sending their own mail-in ballot applications with pre-filled voter information, a move some state leaders and the Secretary of State's office says undermines the voter ID law in Iowa. Lynn County Auditor Joel Miller and Johnson County Auditor Travis Weipert are both sending absentee ballot request forms with auto-populated information like the voter's name, address, date of birth, and voter ID PIN number filled out. All voters would need to do is sign it and send it back to receive an absentee ballot starting on October 5th when early voting begins. Miller said, and this is the guy from Lynn County, In an interview Wednesday, his office had already sent out 75,000 prepaid and prefilled absentee ballot request forms in his county and plans on sending more by the end of the week. He said he gave the Secretary of State's office notice of his plans to do so on July 11th, and as of Wednesday, July 22nd, he had not received any word, so he is proceeding with plans for mailers to all 140,000 active voters in Lynn County, the state's second largest. Now, Lynn County is just north of Johnson County. They share a border with Johnson County. Lynn County is the home of Cedar Rapids. This is about the safety of voters, Miller said. This is about running an election in a pandemic. So COVID is to blame for these county auditors deciding to take it upon themselves to send out absentee ballot applications that were already filled out with all the voter information. So all they needed was a signature that would obviously never be checked. Skipping down in the article. Part of the reason Miller and Weipert are sending auto-populated absentee ballot request forms, they say, is because a new law prohibits them from using their voter database to correct any incomplete or incorrect information on a form a voter sends back. The new provision requires auditors to instead contact people by email, phone, or mail within 24 hours, a process that auditors say will be costly and cumbersome. Previously, under the old law, auditors could use, quote, the best means available, end quote, to obtain missing information, which was usually accessed by a state voting database. Most county auditors do not have accurate phone numbers or email addresses since they actively encourage voters not to share that information since doing so makes it a public record. Yeah, you wouldn't want to have any of that information on the public record. 
that would make it a lot easier to actually check for fraudulent registrations. But I know, I know, they're just trying to protect everyone's privacy like always. So that was July 23rd, 2020. This is October 14th, 2020. The Associated Press, Iowa Supreme Court sides with GOP over absentee ballot forms. Iowa's highest court upheld a state directive Wednesday that was used to invalidate tens of thousands of absentee ballot requests mailed to voters pre-filled with their personal information. The Iowa Supreme Court issued its ruling in favor of Donald Trump's campaign and Republican groups as Trump held an evening rally in Des Moines. The court rejected a Democrat challenge that argued the directive issued by Republican Secretary of State Paul Pate was unconstitutional. Pate instructed county elections commissioners in July that all absentee ballot request forms they mailed to voters must be blank in order to ensure uniformity statewide. Auditors in three counties defied Pate's guidance and mailed forms to thousands of voters with their names, addresses, dates of birth, and voter PIN numbers already filled in. Voters just had to review, sign, and return the forms, which the three auditors said were intended to make voting by mail as easy as possible during the coronavirus pandemic. The Trump campaign and GOP groups filed lawsuits to invalidate those forms, saying auditors overstepped their authority. Two judges in three separate cases agreed, invalidating about 70,000 applications that had been returned by voters and issuing injunctions blocking the counties from processing any others. Affected individuals had to fill out new blank applications to request absentee ballots or vote another way. Secretary of State Paul Pate said none of this voter confusion would have happened if not for the irresponsible and unlawful actions of the auditors in Johnson, Lynn and Woodbury counties. And as you might imagine, all of this was called voter suppression by the communists. So we have a very blue county in a very red state with a history of these election manipulation type issues, making use of Democrat activists who will flip their voter registration to show up for Nikki Haley and oppose Donald Trump. You can argue legality or illegality. You can argue pros and cons. But what you can't argue is that that is a blatant attempt at election interference. I'm not suggesting what should be done about that. All I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, that's not a sign of actual support. That's not a sign of strength for Nikki Haley's campaign. That's just the product of an election rigging apparatus set up in Johnson County, Iowa. Now, the retreat from Ron has continued. This is from this morning in the National Pulse. Ex-DeSantis spokesman Steve Cortez, I was wrong. It's time to unite behind Trump to save America. He published an op-ed today on real clear politics. The National Pulse grabbed a couple of quotes. It is time to coalesce and unite behind the clear preference of the GOP grassroots Donald John Trump. He went on, we do not have the luxury of further internal strife and instead must gird for an epic battle this autumn against our opponents who are inflicting daily damage upon America. I would suggest that our opponents who are inflicting daily damage upon America include the Ron DeSantis simps of which Steve Cortez remains one. It is time to unify behind former President Trump as he leads the battle against 
the ruling class and the oligarchs intent on destroying the American way of life. I implore all patriotic populists to join as I pledge to do all I can to work for Trump's cause, just as I proudly did in 2016 and 2020. And Cortez was reasonably supportive throughout that time, more so at least than his fellow DeSantis simps. But if you believe that Donald Trump is actually battling the ruling class and the oligarchs, then you would also know that they stole the 2020 election from him. And so going to support someone other than Donald Trump is actually helping them. So, hey, Steve Cortez, whose side are you on? Turns out it's not mine. Now, I understand that is a hard judgment to make, and we're beginning to see a whole lot of people for whom we will have to make this judgment. People who went against MAGA, explicitly against Donald Trump, explicitly against his supporters, who are now either seeing the writing on the wall or otherwise understanding that maybe going against Donald Trump and the MAGA movement was a bad idea. Jamie Dimon, in a clip that has gone all over the internet, the CEO of JP Morgan this morning was talking about how maybe it was a bad idea to be going after MAGA extremism all the time since it's not extremism and how the constant focus on this element from the uniparty left was actually going to hurt Joe Biden's chances in the oh so real election of 2024 that will surely feature Joe Biden as the Democrat candidate for president. Here is Jamie Dimon. See the U.S. economy playing itself out over the next 12 months. This is an election year. We've yeah. been talking a lot about what just took place in Iowa yeah. and trying to understand how the American public is going to feel about the economy may ultimately uh, dictate how uh, the president is decided. Yes, I agree with that. I, I think it's a mistake to assume that everything's hunky dory. And, you know, and when stock markets are up, it's kind of like this little drug we all feel like it's just great. You know, but remember, we've had so much fiscal and monetary stimulation. So I'm a little more on the cautious side that we are facing a lot of things in 20 and 24 or 25. And you, you mentioned Ukraine, the terrorist activity in Israel, the Red Sea, quantitative tightening, which I still question if we understand exactly how that works. I don't think we do. How QE actually worked, what the effect of negative, you know, zero rates was for all this time. Uh, and obviously the politics. And, you know, and then the Ukrainian war is affecting oil, gas, food, migration. So you have all these very powerful forces that are going to be affecting us in 24 and 25. So if I was the government, I would be preparing for what I'm going to do about that, assuming things aren't good. And I just also want to point out, I, I wish the Democrats would think a little more carefully when they talk about MAGA, you know, and you, if you travel this country, you know, and the country's unbelievable. We took our bus trip this year, and Leslie Picker was on Spokane and Boise and Bozeman. People are growing. They're hungry to grow. They're innovating. It's, it's everywhere. It's not just Silicon Valley. So we've got this great hand. But when people say MAGA, they're actually looking at people voting for Trump, and they think they're voting, and they're basically scapegoating them, that you are like him. Uh, and, but I don't think they're voting for Trump because of his family values. And if you look, just take a step back, be honest. He's kind of right about NATO. Kind of right about immigration. Mm -hmm. He grew the economy quite well. China, China Ta virus. Tax reform worked. Mm -hmm. He was right about some of China. I don't, I don't like no, what he did. No, I said China virus. Yeah, I understand. He, yeah. he may have been right. He, he, and I don't like how he said things about Mexico. I don't like. But he wasn't wrong about some of these critical issues. And that's why they're voting for him. 
And, and I think people should be a little more respectful of our fellow citizens. And when you guys have people up here, you should always ask the why. Not like it's a binary thing. You're supporting right. Trump. You're not supporting Trump. Why are you supporting Trump? It's hard to Trump? hate 75 million of your fellow Americans. And it's, I, I agree. It's done quite and, you know, the it. Democrats have done a pretty good job with the deplorables, not, hugging onto their Bibles and their beer and their guns. I mean, really, like, can we just stop that stuff and actually grow up and treat other people with respect and listen to them a little bit? Jimmy, and, and I do think the economy will affect. And I think this, this negative talk about MAGA is going to hurt Biden's election campaign. Now, that was quite a clip. He's saying that maybe we shouldn't be so mean to MAGA. It might just be the case that Donald Trump is going to be back. And it might just be the case that he wasn't quite as bad as everyone pretends he is. Now, Jamie Dimon is wearing a Ukraine flag pin on his lapel. And he says specifically at the end of that clip that this is going to hurt Joe Biden's campaign. So I'm not exactly sure that he's diehard MAGA at this point. It's also interesting that during that clip, he basically said they don't really know how quantitative easing works. But hey, that's not going to stop them from printing money. Now, will standard issue uniparty villagers hear Jamie Dimon's words and think, oh, my, that powerful banker surely does have my best interests at heart. I should heed what he's saying. I kind of doubt it. Is this going to red pill anybody? Kind of doubt it. It's just going to make them hate Jamie Dimon. And I don't care about whether or not they hate Jamie Dimon. I also don't care if they actually take this view seriously. At this point, enough people in their lives have said this. They're coming down on one side or the other. There's not some child brain out there viewing CNBC and thinking, oh, yeah, maybe I should be a little nicer to those MAGA extremists. But people are impressed by the message because they don't hear this stuff very often in the mainstream media. And to the extent that people are still getting their views from the mainstream media, I guess you could kind of frame this as important in some sense. But I'm not one of those people that thinks this is how the waking up occurs. All of the information that these people need to understand what's right and what's wrong is already in their heads. And to this point, they have denied that information and deprioritized that information. They have responded to incentives and the punishment structure within the party of false decorum. It's not like you're going to show them three more facts and then they're just going to break free of all that. Jamie Dimon's not going to say, hey, maybe we should not be so hateful against the people who currently represent a vast majority of Americans and did in 2020 as well. But certainly this message is better than the standard fare. Now, what happens if Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, keeps making statements like this? And then he goes on Joe Rogan and makes statements like this. He sits down with Tucker Carlson and makes statements like this. He has a Twitter exchange with Elon Musk. I mean, X, formerly Twitter. Just like this. And everybody's like, whoa, Jamie Dimon, based banker, bro. He's totally red pilling. He's totally helping wake up the normies. This guy is a Trump supporter. Jamie Dimon, this banker is my new hero. Because that is what people on our side do. We are so used to getting scraps and crumbs that the first time someone says something that isn't directly hateful against all of us and Donald Trump, we're like, oh, that's my new best friend. 
but he's not your new best friend. He's playing both sides of the fence as smart and amoral business people do. And that's not how best friends are made. But of course, we've all been the targets of this propaganda campaign, this vast brainwashing. We've all been Stockholm syndromed into Timbuktu. We want our captors to love us the way we love them. Oh, please, Jamie Dimon. Oh, please, won't you be my best friend? And as soon as you decide that the person who was the enemy is now the friend, well, you can just go back to sleep when it comes to that person. And I know, I know, I am totally blackpilling. I'm being so mean. Don't these people deserve a second chance? Well, yes, they certainly do. I would love to see them all become redeemable communists, but saying one thing on television isn't the standard. They need to be publicly, openly embracing and accepting and working and helping to reverse whatever negative effect they might have had before and join us in attempting to push America forward to its future inevitable greatness. And if they're not doing that, well, then we can't be best friends. And it's not mean of me to say that. In fact, this is going to be one of the most important dynamics that we see emerge this year. It has to be by default because so many people who were Trump friendly, at least, or worked with Trump, they did business with Trump throughout that first term where Trump was publicly recognized as president. Those sorts of people who have turned around and been explicitly anti-Trump for the last few years well, they're going to come try to maintain their current level of power and social status. They are going to try to win back the approval or at least the tacit acceptance of MAGA. And because people on our side are so beaten down and so tired and so frustrated, they're simply going to accept all of that right back in. And when you do that, you will be giving away all of the power and leverage that you have earned over these last four years of nonstop psyops and nonsense. The idea that all of these people will be coming back in our direction because of some great awakening they've experienced and some moral turnaround from their prior positions, that's going to be a major mistake in judgment that many people on our side will make. And again, I am not encouraging a scenario where we aren't forgiving of people who ask for forgiveness. And if they haven't wronged us personally, certainly they don't need our forgiveness. But you also don't need these people as allies appearing right now. They wouldn't even be considering being nice to MAGA unless they needed us. They are showing you that they are bloodless, social climbing, power hungry, political grifters. They'll say some semi-decent things about MAGA right now while supporting the legitimacy of Joe Biden. You need to demand better than a few nice words from these people. And let's go to another one. Nikki Haley, who finishes a close third. She's beat out by Ron hands by a couple thousand votes for third place. She's trying to claim that she has Nikki Mentum going forward into New Hampshire. Again, very hard to see her winning a victory in New Hampshire, even with all of the anti-Trump support consolidating. Trump has the numbers in New Hampshire to win a sheer majority in New Hampshire again. I mean, assume that Vivek's support is going to go directly to Trump. Assume that some of DeSantis' support is going to bleed over to Trump. 
and he's above 50% pretty easily. So again, Nikki Haley is claiming that this is now a two-person race. Let's be frank about this. This is now a one-person race. Again, people are going to say that I'm early on this, but I'm sorry, this is what the numbers say. This is what the numbers are. Okay, but here's Nikki Haley. I can safely say tonight, Iowa made this Republican primary a two-person race. Um, I mean, again, let's be real about this. This is not a two-person race. Donald Trump is way the hell ahead of everybody. I was going to hold my judgment on that until we saw some actual results from some actual caucuses. But even if Nikki Haley were to pull a close second in New Hampshire, hell, even if Nikki Haley were to win New Hampshire, it is hard to see her going down south to South Carolina and then somehow pulling a miracle out and beating Trump. That's really the only path that Nikki Haley has forward. So just giving you the pure, honest analysis here, Donald Trump is the Republican nominee in 2024. And maybe this is always how it's going to be. Again, if Republicans saw him as an incumbent president, which many Republicans see him as, that meant he was going to win. Not just that. Now, there's a, a principle in drama and fiction writing called Chekhov's gun, named after the writer Anton Chekhov. So Chekhov famously suggested that if you put a gun over the mantle in the first act of a play, by the end of act two, that gun has to be fired. You don't put the mantle over the gun, over, you don't put the gun over the mantle unless the gun is going to be fired. And I've said this to my business partner, Jeremy Boring, many, many times. Chekhov's gun's principle is not actually a, an imperative it's descriptive, meaning that is how the human brain works. That is how people act. They act as though if the thing is there, it is going to be used. The idea that there was going to be a 2024 election absent Donald Trump, that Donald Trump was not going to be a part of this story in what is now season nine of Trump. I mean, his name's the show, right? I mean, we're all living in the Trump show since 2015. It's now 2024. Season nine of Trump got greenlit. And it got greenlit during like season six. Now, I'm not 100% sure but I was pretty convinced that saying anything that wasn't overtly mean about Donald Trump is anti-Semitic. And so I think, I guess, again, I don't know the rules. It sounds to me like Ben Shapiro might be a little bit anti-Semitic here. But he has now declared that Donald Trump is pretty definitely the GOP nominee for 2024. It's not going to be Nikki. It's not going to be Ron. It's going to be Trump and Ben Shapiro has got to look like a Trump friendly media figure. Otherwise, he risks losing whichever standard issue uniparty right villagers still listen to Ben Shapiro. All of these DeSantis simps have to move back toward Trump at least a little bit if they want to maintain their audiences and their cover as a loyal and faithful conservative. Do I think that Ben Shapiro is now a Trump supporter or respects MAGA or is attached to reality in any way? No, I don't. Now, could Ben Shapiro be an op too? Sure. Sure he can. But the idea that he is a Trump friendly op designed to red pill Americans and get them to embrace America first values seems a little at odds with his approach during that whole paragliding go-kart thing where he was accusing everyone of being a conspiracy theorist just because we didn't believe the decapitated baby story that they couldn't provide any evidence for. Is Ben Shapiro going to be our new best friend? I don't think so. There is still a primary race for second place because if they're able to get rid of Trump somehow, and Ben Shapiro will probably aid in that process by saying Trump deserves to go to prison. Or, hey gang, 
You got to follow the law. And Trump didn't follow the law. Then all of a sudden, you've got all these fools pushing for whoever finished second to be the GOP nominee. Oh, well, you know, it should go to the person with the second most delegates because we can't be irresponsible and give the Republican nomination to a guy who's in prison. Now, I certainly don't know that Donald Trump is going to be imprisoned, and I certainly don't know who among these people would react to that eventuality in the way I just described. But it's not going to be zero of them. And even understanding that people are going to continue to listen to these guys, people who self-identify as conservatives are going to say, oh, yeah, we're still friends, me and that Ben Shapiro guy, and they will spend three or four more months listening to these DeSantis simps. They will think we're all on the same team again, and they will then immediately go in to that whole narrative about how we need to get rid of Trump in favor of somebody else, because despite the fact that Trump was the voter's choice, he's just not going to be allowed to run in the election. And therefore, we should give the nomination to whoever's in second place. You think the RNC can't do that? They sure can. And there is absolutely a possible future where exactly what I just described could happen. And many people in our movement would think these guys are still all acting in good faith, just as people in our movement did when they all started supporting Ron DeSantis. No one could let go of Ron because he was the greatest governor TV had ever shown us. And no one could let go of these other TV characters because we felt like we really knew them. And they were the most popular conservatives. And you have to follow popular people because how else could you know that they were really good and really smart and really conservative and, you know, really honest? I mean, that's what our culture incentivizes, right? That's how you get the big corporate money being really smart, being really honest, being really conservative. Oh, the corporations are just lining up to give you money for telling the difficult truths. Except that's not how it works. The most popular people are not the most popular because they're the best or the smartest or the most conservative or the most honest. They don't get paid to tell the truth. They get paid to help create a false reality around you, a reality that most benefits the people who sponsor them. And so then we've got Vivek Ramaswamy who on Monday night after the Iowa caucus results came in and Donald Trump was announced the winner, Vivek ended his campaign, dropped out, and endorsed Donald Trump. Now, I talked yesterday about how Vivek over the weekend had mentioned to an Iowa voter he was talking to that he was worried Donald Trump would be assassinated or something similar because the regime would never allow Donald Trump to be president again, and therefore that Iowa voter should come out and caucus for Vivek Ramaswamy. Donald Trump did an event in New Hampshire yesterday. He allowed Vivek to come up on stage and say a few words, and then they had kind of an interesting exchange as Vivek left the microphone, going to shake Trump's hand and embrace Trump. And I'll discuss that in a second, but let's go ahead and hear just a brief clip of Vivek's endorsement and Trump's reaction. 
That is what American exceptionalism is all about. That is what we are going to revive to, yes, make America great again. Vote for this man right here in the New Hampshire primary. God bless you and your families, and may God bless our United States of America. Thank you, New Hampshire. It's good to see you guys. We're coming back and winning this in a landslide. We will not stop until we get this job done. Thank you all. God bless you and your families. Thank you, thank you. Wow, that's how was that? Pretty good, right? That was pretty good, and he's a fantastic guy, and he's really, uh, he's got something that's uh, very special because he started off with a Zippo, and he's got, he ended up very strong. He did a great job. I was actually surprised when he called because he was doing well, and uh, it's an honor to have his endorsement. He's going to be working with us, and he'll be working with us for a long time. Thank you. Okay, so the crowd chants Veep or VP, it sounded like to me, when Vivek went back to embrace Donald Trump. Trump says they'll be working together for a long time. And as you might suspect, people are taking that to mean that maybe Vivek will be Donald Trump's VP, or maybe he'll have some sort of cabinet position. I don't actually anticipate any of those things. I also don't really care about them. These are the sort of conversations that seem to me like political gossip. They're just not relevant right now. We're just talking about, ooh, my opinion would be this. Oh, well, my opinion would be that. Oh, gosh, it's all so interesting talking about these scenarios that maybe won't and probably won't even happen. But they are reflective of the way we've traditionally talked about politics in this country. So it's out of some force of habit that people are doing this. We have this idea that one of the also rans in the presidential primaries will become the vice president because, oh, people like them too. But no one's going to go out and vote for Trump's vice president. And truth be told, if Trump selected any of the people who competed against him, I would think worse of Trump for doing that. I'm not interested in the VP race. I have half a mind to think that Donald Trump won't even select one because I think that something else is going on. But no matter what, we're not in that traditional political analysis era anymore. Trump's primary job is not to be the kingmaker for five years from now. It doesn't even make sense. We are going to figure out who the 2028 candidate for president is, if indeed we're still participating in a system like this, which I think we may not be, we're going to do that then based on who we like and who we respect and who we want to represent us. Then we don't need to have Donald Trump decide that for us now. And we don't need to preference one of these characters based on his demographic characteristics. Oh, he's going to appeal to minority voters. He's going to appeal to young voters. He's going to appeal to college-educated voters. All of these justifications are moronic. Here is what I will support someone for. They are the most authentically 
believably, legitimately, genuinely America first candidate I can find. That's the only qualification. I don't care how young or old they are. I don't care if they're a man or woman. I don't care what skin color they have. I don't care where they went to college. I care whether or not they told the truth about the most important issues in the world. And so far, Vivek Ramaswamy hasn't even bumped up against saying Donald Trump definitely did not receive 81 million real lawful American votes. He has called the election into question on a couple of different occasions, but he was still running to eliminate the guy who that election was stolen from. So is Vivek an op? Probably. I'll even give you probably. But we still just can't assume that and then make Vivek our new best friend. It doesn't make any sense. We're not trying to answer a marriage proposal from one of these people. We're not seeking out our next hero. We are analyzing whether or not someone could competently do the job of leading the nation and whether or not they were worthy of the public trust. We're not trying to have a popularity contest for something that's not going to be decided until the late summer or early fall of 2028 in January of 2024. Everyone is so desperate to get some of these key television characters on our team. We want them to be our new best friend because we're so used to the crumbs and to the scraps. Oh, they're finally being nice to us. That must mean they want to be our new best friend. If they say a few more nice sentences to me, gosh, I'll support anything they want to do forever. It's madness. We do not need to declare our love for these people because they finally said something nice about us. And people are making a big deal about the exchange between Vivek and Trump at the end. Trump has said nice things about Vivek. Vivek finished his remarks. He turns around. He shakes Donald Trump's hand and he does that thing with his left hand where he puts it on the outside of Donald Trump's shoulder. Now, if Vivek was an op, then he knows Donald Trump's status. If Vivek wasn't an op, he still knows Donald Trump's status. Donald Trump is the president of the United States. If you want to slide the word former in there, you are more than welcome to do that, but I'm not going to. Regardless of his presidential status, he is a man of great stature. Despite what the media has said about the man, he's still Donald Trump for fuck's sake. He's not your buddy at your bachelor party at three in the morning where you just grab each other and hug each other and grab each other's faces and say, man, I love you. And those are wonderful moments between equals. But Vivek on no level is Donald Trump's equal. Well, I guess except for their value as human beings, they are both equally valuable as human beings. But that is where the equality ends. After that point, Donald Trump is just simply a much greater man. Vivek Ramaswamy should be happy to be on the stage with him and have nice things said about him. Donald Trump gave him minutes to give a speech to Donald Trump's crowd, increasing Vivek Ramaswamy's popularity. That is Donald Trump bestowing a kindness on Vivek Ramaswamy and Vivek just does his 
young millennial businessman stuff. I have seen people interact this way thousands of times. And I have also seen men of stature who do not want to be touched by underling strangers. And that is kind of the way the exchange looked to me. If Vivek is part of an op that he ran successfully, it seems to me like he would be thanking Donald Trump and showing great respect to him, not trying to hug him and show everyone that they're actually boys. You would assume he would be deferential to him as if he was a father figure. He is older, smarter, more accomplished, more powerful. And Vivek basically tried to dominate him through gesture, posture, body language, and touch. And Donald Trump, of course, having dealt with people like that before, he created some space and gracefully sent Vivek off on his way. Now, is Vivek a good guy? Is Vivek a bad guy? I don't care because I don't spend my time playing white hat versus black hat. Let's guess who's who. We are going to have our friends and peers deciding that Vivek is definitely a white hat now and we should trust him in everything he says. He is a surrogate of Donald Trump now. He is doing everything he does on behalf of MAGA and the ascendant Donald Trump. This was always his job and we will support him forever now. Or Vivek is a bad guy who worked for the pharma companies and is only supporting Trump and MAGA now because he is continuing his political grift, hungry for power. Either of those could be true. There is some compelling evidence pointing to both. But the most salient and important takeaway is that we don't know and it doesn't matter. We're just going to watch what he does and make him prove himself and prove his loyalty and his effectiveness and his competence and his commitment. Because the clear surface level interpretation of Vivek Ramaswamy is he was engaged in running in a fake primary to replace the man from whom the 2020 election was stolen, thus supporting the usurpation of the United States of America. If all it takes is him withdrawing from a primary race, he was not going to win. And then saying some things about Donald Trump, then you've got really low standards. That is a good state of mind to be in if you want to perpetually get screwed over forever. And again, I'm not saying he's not redeemable. I'm not even saying I can sit in a place of judgment with him. All I'm saying is that you need to be a little bit more careful about who you throw your trust and commitment behind after having been psyoped for your entire life and dealing with the fallout of Stockholm syndrome. You need to emerge from the mindset where it is acceptable for you to be thrown scraps and crumbs and then be expected to clap and cheer. None of the people on TV are going to be your new best friend. Now, one final election story before we go. We've been talking about elections around the world. We talked about how Russia has an election coming up in two months. And I posted in the afternoon yesterday about how odd I thought it was that the media wasn't doing much at all to cover the Russian presidential election. And I wondered why that might be. 
throughout 2022, we were told that we had to risk World War III, a nuclear war, to take Vladimir Putin out of power. We were going to remove Vladimir Putin from power via war. And now there's a chance to remove Vladimir Putin through an election and no one's talking about it. I posted yesterday. Seems weird that the news isn't all over the fact that Russia has a presidential election in two months. Is it because the Russian occupied lands in eastern quote unquote Ukraine, really just Russia, are participating in the election and we're not supposed to know that Ukraine is long over? Why isn't the Biden State Department on the ground in Russia trying to make sure their elections are very safe and secure as they were in Nigeria? Why aren't they making a bigger deal of this? Did the Alexei Navalny psyop for Western audiences not catch fire as planned? And you can look it up. They've done movies about Alexei Navalny. This is the supposed Putin opposition character who was poisoned by Putin and is now in jail for 30 years. That is all supposed to make Putin look like an evil dictator. Same playbook. We have discussed that they will be running against Donald Trump when Donald Trump actually holds these people accountable for their crimes against America and their crimes against humanity. That will be projected to the world by the regime's global state propaganda media as Donald Trump being the evil dictator who is imprisoning his political opponents. Same thing. These members of the evil twin faction in America, the Uniparty, specifically the Uniparty left with the illegitimate Biden administration in place, they've been flying all around the world to influence the elections of other countries. We had CIA director William Burns dealing with Brazil. We had Samantha Power and Anthony Blinken and Linda Thomas Greenfield, I think is her name from the UN, all heading to Nigeria to influence the outcome of their election. A delegation that included election denier Stacey Abrams. But the regime can't send delegations to fix elections into countries like Russia. Isn't that weird that the regime can't go in and influence Russian elections? That should be a profound revelation to people. We are led to believe that Putin has one chief political opposition figure, Alexei Navalny, and Putin has imprisoned him so that the people of Russia can't vote for Navalny. That is just crazy. Despite the fact that this has been ongoing with Navalny for years, no other opposition candidate has risen up to challenge Vladimir Putin. He still has incredible popularity among his people, which are the only people that matter to Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin does not need good approval ratings from retarded Americans or retarded Europeans or retarded supporters of the regime anywhere else either. We even have the independent republics in the Donbass, the republics over which this so-called Ukraine war was fought. All of them are voting to decide the Russian president. Do you remember being told that their referenda to become part of Russia, all of that was fake. All of that was meaningless. Those weren't real elections. Those were Ukrainian territories that Ukraine was going to take back. They're all voting for the Russian president. They are part of Russia. It doesn't matter what the TV says. It doesn't matter what the state propaganda media says. It doesn't matter what the illegitimate president's illegitimate state department says. 
They're part of Russia. They're voting for the president. We are being lied to by these people. We are being told that removing Putin through starting World War Three is acceptable, but that attempting to remove him through elections, well, that's impossible. So I posted yesterday about how these stories hadn't been percolating at all in the media. Why weren't we hearing about the Russian election? The Russian people have this opportunity to cast their vote and get rid of Vladimir Putin, and we don't hear anything about it. He's been president forever, and he just keeps getting reelected. Surely something must be wrong, right? They can't exactly admit to the world that Vladimir Putin is incredibly popular in Russia, that would destroy their narrative. This entire nation of people really does want Vladimir Putin to be president. Well, what are they supposed to say? That's not democratic. And of course, they can't do that. They can't sell that. If the people are legitimately electing Putin, then they want Putin to lead them. That's not our business. So instead, they try to make out as if Vladimir Putin is going to threaten all of Europe. He is going to attack all of these countries and the United States is going to get sucked in through the NATO treaty. And in order to avoid the United States getting sucked into a kinetic World War Three against Russia, well, we're just going to have to start a kinetic World War Three against Russia. That's the kind of nonsense that we are led to believe by our mainstream media. And of course, the illegitimate administration in place. Well, no sooner do I remark on the media not really covering this than we get yesterday in the afternoon an article in Reuters. Putin says past U.S. elections were rigged. Russian President Vladimir Putin running for a new six year term in an election that his opponents say is a parody of democracy. Oh, his opponents say that. Gosh, that's amazing said on Tuesday that past U.S. elections had been rigged by postal voting. In the United States, previous elections were falsified through postal voting. They bought ballots for $10, filled them out, and threw them into mailboxes without any supervision from observers. And that's it, Putin said, without providing evidence. You gotta love that. The Russian president needs to provide evidence in order to convince some low level writer at Reuters that what he says is true. The guy has access to top level intelligence from intelligence organizations on par with the best in the world. And some writer who jots off 500 word articles for Reuters is concerned that Putin doesn't have evidence. He goes on. Putin's opponents say the March election in Russia is no real contest as the president wields unchallenged power and his main rival, Alexei Navalny, is serving more than 30 years in jail on charges that Navalny says were trumped up. Oh, Navalny says he's not guilty. Got it. They say the use of electronic voting creates scope for authorities to manipulate the vote in Putin's favor without detection. What? Reuters is saying that the only way Vladimir Putin can legitimately win his election, despite his overwhelming popularity and success in guiding Russia, the only way he can win is by imprisoning his political opponent and making use of of machine fraud in elections that they say as just a casual statement of fact. 
It is just true that the machines can be used this way. Vladimir Putin intends to use them. The only way he can win is by making use of machine fraud and the imprisonment of his opponent. How is that for an upside down world? I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. 
If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!